the student of the game podcast where we break down the life strategy and advice of successful individuals who are students of their own game and masters of their own craft thanks for tuning in let's get to the episode What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the the uh, um, Student of the Game podcast. I almost said UTC Real Estate Club. I was, I was this close. Yeah, recently um, changed the name. It's easy to mix up. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Nick Galbraith. I'm your host, and uh, my co-host here is Tim Stone, and we have the pleasure to introduce Scott Trench today, the CEO of Bigger Pockets, the rugby advocate, and just so many amazing things that uh, he's up to these days. So really appreciate you being here, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. And let's let's go ahead and jump right in. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your life and uh, sort of take a little pause once you get to college, and we'll we'll pick it up from there. But catch us up to speed. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in a, um, a suburb in Maryland between uh, DC and Baltimore, called Howard County. For those who uh, who care, as you mentioned, I, I grew up playing rugby, um, lots of sports that kind of dominated my my life. Um, uh, extracurriculars. I was always a good student. Um, got a uh, mostly, mostly straight A's and did well in the SATs, all that kind of stuff. Three sport athlete in high school. I was football wrestling and lacrosse and we had a pretty, fairly large high school, about 300, 400 students per year. Um, and I was, uh, fortunate enough to make the, the varsity club for wrestling and football my sophomore year, um, win state championship and football, all that kind of stuff. So glory days were, we're uh, reliving them right now. Thanks for, for asking yeah. about all that, all that. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I was big athlete, uh, good student, kind of busy all day. I would say my high school days, 60, 70 hour work weeks along those lines, you know, wake up at six, go to school, practice or play, have a sporting game that, that evening until, you know, five o'clock on average or on a late, late night, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, if there was a big game or something like that. Um, often have a tournament or something going on on the weekends as well. And then homework, you know, around squeezing that in around the, the things there. So when I got to college, um, I, well, I, you know, my college search, I, I, uh, I, I had a couple of schools I wanted to get into. I didn't get into my first choice, but went to Vanderbilt, and which was I ended up falling in love with. I uh, had a wonderful college experience there um, in Nashville, Tennessee. I know that's right around, you know, a couple hours from you guys. Um, and uh, uh, at Vanderbilt, I kind of was it was kind of wild because it was so much different. You know, it was still as hard. It was academically challenging mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But going from a 70 hour work week to a 30 to 40 hour work week um, was, was, was a big change for me. And I was, I was privileged that my, my parents paid for college and I did not have to get a, a job during college. I, I funded my lifestyle and all that kind of stuff in this, in summer jobs where I kind of reverted into that 60, 70, 80 hour uh, week type workload, um, to make enough cash to fund my living expenses and fun stuff for, um, college. I went into college, um, not sure what I wanted to do, got a, uh, uh, started out as a kind of like an in, like an engineering intro class, but I was in the arts and science school, so I was not fully into engineering. Hated it, and decided to go and pivot to become a doctor, um, get a medical degree, and so I began doing that the second half of my freshman year and into my sophomore year. I, I then got an internship studying cancer. I wanted to be an oncologist oh, wow. uh, at Johns Hopkins. 
um, mm -hmm. which is a pretty cool experience and yeah. decided I did not want to become a doctor or do that either. Uh, <laughs> so I switched majors for the third time my junior and senior year and got, um, I ended up with a dual major in economics and history and I minored in corporate strategy and finance. So uh, I am probably one of those rare folks who actually uses that degree on a pretty regular basis. And that kind of was where my interest settled. And I, I really kind of have fallen in love with personal finance, business, corporate finance, strategy, planning, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff over the last decade um, since I graduated. Wow, it's been almost a decade since yeah. I graduated. I, <laughs> I graduated in 2013, so coming up on, on a decade, eight years. Um, uh, in college, I was, I was a pretty good student. I got like a three, seven kind of deal. Um, so I got pretty good grades there, but certainly was not top of the class or magna cum laude or anything like that. I was, as you mentioned on the rugby club, I was captain of the rugby club and, uh, very involved in my fraternity. So that tells you where a lot of my time, uh, how a lot of my time was spent in college, um, with that. Um, I was very efficient, got all my homework done, uh, right after class, uh, I, I was one of those guys who would like, okay, class is over. Now I'm going to spend two hours completing the project because not because I'm like trying to be on top of my stuff, but because I'm like, oh, if I complete plans. this in an hour or two after class, then it will take me one to two hours instead of four or six hours right before it's due um, to cram it, cram it all in. I just thought it was more efficient to do it that way. Um, and that would give me more time back. Um, so that was kind of how I viewed my college experience was this. I got good grades, studied, got, found, figured out what I kind of like to do. And then um, uh, uh, had a lot of fun. Um, traveled around the the southeast, playing in um, against most of the big um, SEC schools in rugby, um, and uh, had a great experience. Made a lot of great great friends through my fraternity. With that. Yeah, and I was I was just about to ask you, um, you know, being in three sports in high school, you know, taking all that social interaction, you know, how you know when going to college, what did you get involved in? So you were involved with the fraternity. Um, also the rugby club. And uh, how do you think that's, um, you know, prepared yourself for what, you, what, what you're doing today? I mean, really just, yeah. um, just meeting, being, being a busy athlete and just being involved in those things. Like, how has that shaped you? Because that's, that's a big thing that mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people talk about. And I've heard it a lot in college as they're like preparing you for interviews and stuff. They're like, talk about sports. Like people love that to hear that maybe you're competitive or like you have leadership skills you're a team captain like like how has everything you did there um uh, sort of you know pushed you and helped you is that sort of the question you're going yeah to? yeah yeah well i think i think like so so after i like maybe I, i'll pick up the story for another two minutes and then i'll come back and answer your question there mm -hmm. so yeah. after i graduated college i got a job earning forty eight thousand dollars a year at dish network um which is a a, a satellite tv company and look I, I was treated fine at Dish, but I, I hated that career track. I I, I didn't I didn't want to go and become a you know I didn't want to start off as an associate financial analyst and then graduate to financial analyst to senior financial analyst, finance manager, senior finance manager, director of finance, senior director of finance, VP of finance, senior VP of finance, and CFO. And that's if you're really good over a 20 year career. So I, I didn't want to do that with my life, uh, mm. essentially. And I kind of realized that three months in, and so that's when I kind of began listening to podcasts like this one um you guys obviously weren't around but like the stuff like this like how do i advance myself how do i put myself in a position or a different career check what else is possible out there 
And I discovered this concept of financial independence, um, where you can retire early with a, you know, when your assets generate enough passive income such that you don't have to work anymore. And I was like, that's it. That's what I, I haven't been able to articulate it this way. And, but that's what I want to go after. And I'm, you know, I'm snapping my fingers like it was an event, but for me, it wasn't an event as much as it was a process. I, you know, I, 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 I struggle now to recall the specific moments in time, um, when it, when it come over there, but in a three to six month process from August, 2013, after I graduated college to May of 2014, I kind of fully drank the Kool-Aid of this fire movement, um, following a guy named Mr. Money Mustache, um, his blog, and then a company called Bigger Pockets, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more here um, with that. So, so anyways, Mr. Money Mustache was all about how to be um, frugal and spend very little, like $2,000 a month. And if you spend very little, that allows you to, one, save up a lot more money. But two, it means that you need less total passive income to actually fund your lifestyle and retire early. And it's like, while we all like to spend more, the concept of freedom was very alluring to me. And I was like, that is the power. That's the most powerful lever I can do here. So I started biking to work, making my breakfast or making my lunch. Always make my breakfast, um, and, you know, meal prepping, trying to be really cons uh, uh, have a really good conservation of my cash. Um, still like to go out on the weekends and all that. So I definitely spent um, in that area. But I was I was able to get that spending close to about that 2000 2,500 a month level. And that allowed me to save nearly half of my income, um, especially since I had a couple of side hustles going on, um, like driving for Uber and that kind of stuff after hours. And so at the end of 2014, a year after I graduated, two events had happened. One, I joined Bigger Pockets, a startup at that point in July. I joined them because I thought that this company was going to go somewhere special. It was really cool. I was excited about the concept of real estate investing. And second, I bought a duplex, a little house hack duplex. It was a $240,000 duplex. I, I put down $12,000, um, 5% um, uh, 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 down using a FHA loan and fixed it up and rented out the other side for 1150 and then um uh, a roommate came in and paid me 550 so that's 1700 in income on a 1550 mortgage per month with that um it took me a couple months to get there and you know had to cash flow the the first 3 months while I was DIYing a lot of that but that was a huge propeller for me so between those two moves joining bigger pockets and I had a sales position so actually I actually got a lower salary than I would have had uh, uh, if I had stayed at my first job, but I had commission upside. And so over the course of 2014 and 15, my income is nearly doubling over those years as I'm selling for bigger pockets. I'm selling ads on our podcasts um, as, as my, as my, my, that my big revenue driver there. And I'm stacking a lot of cash because I'm, I'm house hacking. And that snowball, that's like really where the snowball began to get going that I think is probably relevant to, to listeners here. From there, you know, over the last six, seven years, I've stacked in four total properties, three additional properties on top of that first duplex. I've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash on top of that in stocks, either in my retirement accounts or outside of those retirement accounts. Um, I've written a couple of books. Um, and I've got an ownership stake in, uh, in, uh, uh, uh BP as a, as a CEO here with that. So I built a, a, a pretty nice little portfolio here, um, that enables me to, to say, yeah, I'm, I'm financially free. I'm, I'm well past that point of being financially free right now. 
you know, I, I can't have everything, but I can have essentially anything that I'm, I'm interested in. Um, um, and, and I don't have that high of, of a spending tolerance. Um, you were asking, so that's, that's another, that's the rest of the story. Your question though, was how did sports prepare you for that or something to that effect, right? How did that, that college lifestyle? And I would say yeah. uh, that sports and interaction with, you know, fraternity brothers and building those relationships, um, kind of propelled you for, um, your future. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would say that high school, my, the experience I outlined for my high school experience prepared me for that journey way more than the experience in college did, right? Because again, I'm waking up at six o'clock every morning, going to school, get cramming my homework in, getting, get, meeting all the deadlines I need to meet by keeping my attention fully focused on the prize, which for me was the athletics um, and trying to win there. And that's on a, you know, school, school works on a pass fail basis, right? Here's what you need to do to get an A, you know, or, or it's like a clear cutoff, right? Sports is a, it's a curve. It's just, are you better than the other guy uh, with that? So that's where the effort needed to, to, I needed to apply all of that effort and intensity. And that's where I spent all of my time optimizing around that goal. That's what applied in the 80, 20 of, of things into my early stages of my career. And into today is, is that grind being able to just crush it for, 70, 80 hours a week, the, the day job, but then all of the things around that that you need to do to get ahead, you know, in order to, to like, it's work, it's five, 10 hours a week to set up a lifestyle to, to, to prepare your life so that you can actually spend $2,000 a month or $2,500 a month. You got to plan how to do all that kind of stuff and nobody's going to do it for you. Um, with a lot of that, right. You got, you got to spend the hours working on the investment strategy or fixing up the place. And no, you know, it's, it's on a curve. No, you're just not going to make the money. Um, if, if you, until you do it, um, with that kind of stuff, you're not gonna get the place to tenant until the property's ready, um, and, and meets a certain level, level of standards with that. So that's what prepared me, I think, to go through that slog of a probably three years from 2013 to 2016, maybe, maybe 2017 before I'm like over that hump where I've got enough, I'm not done and not retired at 2017, but I've got enough assets, um, and, and, uh, and uh, that are producing passive income where I know I'm clearly over the hump and I can kind of ride it out to the, to that, uh, that future state where my passive income exceeds my lifestyle expenses. So that's what prepared me. Um, the fraternity and having fun in college, that was great. But like, I'd be lying to you if I said that that was like the 80, 20 of what prepared me to, to, to move toward financial independence very early in my career with it. It was, it was the discipline of, of being, of just putting that in as the default for me for four years in, in high school, I think with that, um, sure. You can argue relationships, um, good, good networking, good memories, all that kind of stuff. Um, lots of fun, but I, I don't think it was the 80, 20 of what prepared me for, for my career there. Although I certainly got value out of my, my studies and college education. Absolutely. And, um, um, kind of coming from, uh, kind of stepping back a little bit when you get an internship working for a, uh, cancer, um, or a doctor that specialized in cancer. And then you kind of step back out of that position and change your major to, um, corporate finance and just business. And like, what, um, I guess what ignited that was it an experience that you had, or was it family or, um, a mentor that you kind of ran into in that time or how did that play out? I think I was just kind of generally interested in it. I had a cousin who was doing some of that kind of stuff. I wouldn't say that that was like, there was any one particular factor that necessarily drove me toward it other than, then I just thought it was interesting and it, and it, and it was, uh, um, a, a, a good, 
kind of field of study, I really got more, I really fell into it totally in that first three to six months after I joined, after I started working, um, when I kind of realized what it could do for me personally, because like, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but like the, the real world is scary following college. You're like, I got to work 40, 50 hours a, a week and keep that up for a long time. That fear of like <laughs> doing that for the rest of my life was much more, was very, very motivating from a, a self-education perspective. So I'm, I'm not answering Absolutely. your question very directly there, but is that, is that helpful? No. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. So, um, Let's just start talking about bigger pockets. So you, you were a fan of bigger pockets and it was the startup, you know, there wasn't a whole lot going on. I, I was listening to you on a podcast recently and I think you were like the like third. And Kale. Yeah, you were like yeah. the third employee. So could you talk about that? Like what did that look like and where was it at when you came in? Yeah. So um I, I mentioned that I had been a fan of bigger pockets prior to joining. And so I listened to the podcast and on the podcast, uh, one of the episodes in like the first 50 or hundred was like, go out and join a mastermind or go network with local real estate investors. So I did, I joined a local mastermind. Um, we met at 7am on Thursday mornings, which is brutal for me. Cause I did not like getting up at uh, that early with that, but it was a group of cool Denver entrepreneurs who were starting businesses, usually in real estate. Some of them had completely tangential things that were not related. And we met once a month and I just absorbed what they were doing and learned from them. And they were nice enough to let at that point, a kid with no assets and no, um, you know, I guess just general prospects, um, hang around. And I took each one of those folks out to lunch individually, just to, just to network and learn from them and hear their story more specifically. And one of those guys worked in the networking co co-working space as the found, same network, uh, co-working space as the founder of bigger pockets, Josh Dorkin. Um, and I was a huge fan. I was like, Oh my gosh, Josh, I listen to your podcast all the time. I am a member of your website. I am doing exactly what you told me right now. I am meeting a guy that uh, I, I met through my mastermind group and taking him out to lunch. And here you are. <laughs> and he was, you know, he was like, he doesn't remember it this way, but I kind of, I remember something to the effect of go away, kid. You're bothering me. It's, I'm busy. Uh -huh. I followed six more times with him just to yeah. do the exact same thing. No agenda. I didn't want like necessarily a job. I just wanted to meet Josh and felt that something would, would happen from that because, you know, of the, the, awesome community that he was building and he eventually uh, offered me a job um, as a result of you know downstream from that follow-up um, I remember the interview process and all that meeting Brandon um, Brandon asked me what's your favorite TV show to binge watch um, which I thought was an interesting interview question um, so be ready for that one um, on your on your first job interview uh, or next job interview with that and uh, yeah from there I joined as a third employee um, it was kind of like I'm just gonna handle all of the operations of the business that uh, go unserved. And I stick my hands up and roll my sleeves up for every opportunity. Um, I really wanted to build my rental property portfolio and become financially free. So I, uh, I stuck my hand up for sales opportunity, anything I could do to, to earn more income. And in the evenings after hours, um, I was allowed to for free write for the blog on a volunteer capacity with that. And so I started doing that as well. Um, and over the next three years, I think that attitude, um, and, and, you know, just kind of sticking my hand up and trying and, um, the orientation of, I'm going to try to do everything I possibly can to make Josh's life easier, to make bigger pockets successful and to, and to serve him as a fiduciary to him as an individual, 
um, not and understand his position as the owner of Bigger Pockets in addition to um, you know serving Bigger Pockets the company with that. And I think that that just enabled me to get a lot more responsibility and trust over the years um, until he and just trusted me with running the business totally uh, in, in 2017 and 2018 um, with that. Awesome. Uh, that's, that's truly amazing. I just want to go back to the point of you following up with Josh six times. Um, and I think that it just hits our listeners a little different. It's just like you follow up one time, he not, you know, he might not respond back and they're just like, well, he didn't want to talk to me. But you followed up with six times, and I think that's so important. Just to point I, out I, just, I, I don't know if it was six times. It was maybe like a two or three or four. I, I, I was just using six well, times for effect. We'll go with six. So don't, don't, read, yeah. don't read like all the way into that you particular didn't, comment. You didn't quit till but, you got there is, is the point. I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yes, I think that, that's probably fair. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, yeah, because most of our most of our members are students, you know, student listeners, and mm-hmm. you know they're figuring out what they want to do, and they you know admire someone and they follow up with them and might not hear back, and they kind of get discouraged. And I think that's just wanted to highlight that point of um, you continue going after. You really didn't have an agenda. You're just like I'm going to serve Josh and you know grow his business and do anything that um, he needs me to do to um, make him successful, make bigger pockets successful, and um, launch you into your you know, the CEO of Bigger Pockets now, we're um, uh, listening to a Jay and Carol's uh, podcast. We kind of heard the, uh, it, was, it was about six months ago, but, you know, kind of the drawing board of what you guys are doing now and attending the conference uh, was a truly amazing experience. That was, that was my first conference. Um, and I know oh, I'm kind of going everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was so amazing. I just wanted to um, highlight another point of, uh, you said the 99-1 rule. I don't know if the, the camera is going out of focus, but um, the 99 uh, one rule with 90% of uh, people are just kind of spectating, just kind of see what's going on. I felt like I was in that position before I came to the conference and, you know, kind of made a leap to the 9% where I'm interacting, but there's a certain level of interaction to get to that 1% where, you're, you know, very interacting, meeting new people. And at that conference, you just felt that energy of, you know, everybody kind of in that 1%, you know, attitude of just meeting everybody and helping anybody out in any situation. And it was an amazing experience. Yeah. And I was yeah, going to so, say, and, oh, go ahead. Well, let me just react to that real quick, just so that folks yeah. listening can follow along with that. Um, well, what you're describing, the 90, then separate nine, then separate mm-hmm. one rule, 99 one is a rule in online communities where uh, 90% of the people that are following a community like a bigger pockets are going to be what we call lurkers. They're just going to read the comment, the content, never sign up, not post or vote or anything like that. 9%, 99, 9% are going to do some of the posting and, you know, comment or like, or whatever it is, or vote, whatever it is in that community. And 1% are going to do essentially all of the posting and dialogue in those communities. And that needs to inform, you need to be aware of that dynamic in, in your, uh, in, in building an online community. And so with that, I'll translate that into something helpful here for, for folks listening. Um, you, you said there's an advice section. So I'll skip, I'll do that for one second here. Uh, the advice I would have uh, that I think would be very helpful for folks is to understand the concept of mental models in a general sense. So what I just described there, the 99-1 rule is one of hundreds or thousands of mental models that you can apply to business or life. 
and that allows you to then develop a strategy or a playbook or KPIs or those types of things downstream from that. And so the 99-1 rule is a good mental model for building an online community. I need to serve my 1% of my most prominent users because they're going to be the ones who are the experts who are going to produce all the good content that then the lurkers and the casual participants are going to engage with. Right? Another good mental model that's even easier is Maslow's hammer. You ever heard of this? Guy that only has a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Um, with that, so mm -hmm. if you don't have a lot of mental models, you're gonna you only have a limited you're array of them. The you're everything. gonna apply them. You're gonna you're gonna always apply the same limited toolkit. So if you can develop, you know, these mental models early in your career, it's gonna give you a huge advantage over folks. Some folks can go 10, 20, 30, 50 years only having a handful of mental mental models. If you can have a few dozen or a few hundred early in life. Um, you're gonna, you're gonna, I think, uh, run away with success over over a few the first few decades. So, long winded, Absolutely. but I wanted to bring that back to, to the yeah, thank you for breaking <laughs> it down. <laughs> so, and what I was gonna talk about was sort of just um, networking and how important it is, specifically in real estate, just in a lot of business, and it's a big thing with bigger pockets. Like you were saying, just get involved, like meet people take people out to lunch, like meet those investors and like build those relationships and learn their stories. And uh, going to the conference is like a big thing for that because you can you can read the forums all you want. Like you can be part of the 90% and you feel like you're learning, but just like having those connections with people and having the conversations and hearing their stories and the things that maybe they haven't talked about on the internet is going to push you so much further. That's why you do need to like get out there and meet people and uh, build those relationships and follow up with people and just be present because it is so important. And um, yeah, so we need to go to more conferences is basically what I, I'm saying. I think that's more right. Pockets conferences. It's luck, right? It's luck is what it is. And you can't get lucky if you're hanging out at home playing video games, right? I like there's like I got mm -hmm. lucky. I met Josh Dorkin as a, and joined Bigger Pockets as the third employee, right? So that mm -hmm. like no question, that's a, that's a that's a ridiculously lucky event. I could have continued that that networking profile never hit on, on an opportunity quite as good as this one with that. But something would have, have emerged throughout a, the course of dozens or hundreds of networking opportunities um, uh, along those lines that, you know, I could have just spent at my desk eating a lunch um, or whatever it was. Yeah. So you say you got lucky, which maybe you did, but you were putting yourself in a position to get lucky. And this is one thing that Grant Cardone says, and I may have said it in a previous podcast, but you can't hit a home run if you don't swing. And that's like mm -hmm. the type of thing. Like you can't um, find opportunities if you're not looking for opportunities and going after them. So that's right. like that, it's a very important part. Like, yeah, you did get lucky. You met the right person who had the right opportunity, the right stage of his life, the right stage of his business. But you also put yourself in a situation to meet that guy. Yeah, I, I think that's that. That's that's exactly mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So it's luck, but it's not. It's not. Yeah, you have, you have, you what you're intending to do. So. Yeah, I, I, and I want to be like totally, you know, acknowledge that, you know, if I had not met Josh or had this opportunity, you know, I believe I would still have the four properties that I've got, or, or some some sort of equivalent to that, um, and a couple of other things. But I would be significantly farther behind in my my journey with that. So there, like, you have to acknowledge humbly that luck has a huge role. In any 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 side any type of these outcomes and it can go either way with that and acknowledge that luck cannot happen to you if you're not putting yourself in position to get lucky um, with that so it's paradox to I don't know not paradox but it's two opposing con constructs to hold simultaneously right 
Yeah, I, th I think we, we sort of we talked enough about the points to to make it make sense, even though it's, it is sort of a paradox. Yeah. Um, uh, but kind of going off that point and kind of diving into what you're doing today, um, Scott, you know, with bigger pockets, maybe just like taking a broad overview is with bigger pockets. What else are you doing? And maybe we can dive into yeah. a few and personal investments, anything just like the, the financial independence thing is going to be very big for a lot of our listeners, of course. I mean, that's that's the main thing for bigger pockets is financial independence and freedom that comes through that. So sort of talk about uh, what that picture looks like for you, but also, with, you know, we'd love to hear the the future of bigger pockets and what you're doing there. Yeah. So, so, you know, my personal financial position, again, the goal was to become financially free. I think I think I've um, far surpassed that at, the, at this point. My, my portfolio, um, you know, uh, con con consists of four rental properties and I have a business partner that um, I'm partnered with on, on those properties here in, here in Denver, Colorado. Um, and those, those properties have 10 units, uh, a couple duplexes and a quadplex. And then I've got a substantial uh, stock portfolio. I'm a big index fund investor. So I just, every paycheck or every month, whenever I, I, I want to keep my emergency reserve at a certain level. And anytime mm -hmm. I have cash over that, I just sweep it into my um, after-tax brokerage accounts there. Um, big index fund guy. Um, like I mentioned, I, I've written two books, which I consider personal assets um, as well. And then the the remaining and the majority of my net worth is in invested in bigger pockets when I've had the opportunities um, over the years to to invest directly in the company um, with that. And um, as a manager of the company, I have certain um, options and that kind of stuff. So that's that's the uh, that that's my overall portfolio um, for, for what I'm doing. So I keep it very simple. I'm going to continue buying property once every year or, every, you know, um, every 12 to 18 months, maybe a little more rapidly, um, continue stocking money away into the, the stock market. And if opportunity presents itself, continue to invest in this business that I think is, is really cool and has a lot of uh, long-term potential with it. Um, does that answer your question about my portfolio? Any questions about that before I get into bigger pockets? No, go ahead. Yeah. All right. So, so bigger pockets, um, uh, for those who don't know what we do is we're, how do, how, how do I want to articulate this? If you want to get started in real estate investing, um, I think that you'll find that, you, you know, it's a high risk endeavor. It's the biggest financial decision you're, you've made in your life. And what a lot of people like to do is like to spend literally 100 to 1000 hours listening to podcasts, reading books, networking or whatever, before they're comfortable making a substantial real estate investment. And I think, I think that's very wise um, with that. And I think that's what bigger pockets at the first stage of the journey provides. We help people. Um, you can listen to our podcast or watch a YouTube channel or read a book or join our forums or whatever. And you can conduct that 500 hours of uh, investigation um, at passively to your heart's content until you feel comfortable with the idea of investing. And we make money when that happens, right? So we make money uh, because you're listening to our podcast and you'll hear an ad, right? Or we'll make money because you're buying a book and we'll make a small amount of, of, of dollars per book. We think that our products are good enough to justify um, that, 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 uh, that financial profile, the fact that we make money on those things. And we're growing those segments um, by adding more content more frequently and of different types. So we find that folks want to listen to just how to get their first deal. Um, so that's where we started a real estate rookie sub-brand um, for, for our business. We, have, we, we understand that real estate and personal finance are intricately linked. 
um, all real estate investors um, are cheap bastards. That's how they get enough money to save for that first property in the first place. Um, so I host a money show, a, a Bigger Pockets Money podcast with my um, co-host and partner, Mindy Jensen. And so we talk about personal finances and the journeys that people undertake to get to financial independence, usually involving a real estate and stock or small business or other types of, you know, different, like the, the myriad ways you can actually get to financial independence and the, tool, the toolkits you can use to get there. Um, uh, and so that, that, so that's, part one of our strategy is to build out these sub brands or these different types of content where you can immerse yourself in different worlds. So if you're an advanced investor, expect in the next year or two for us to give you a, a place where we're not going to talk define what cash flow means from a real estate deal um, for the nth time. And we're going to use your NOI, NOI cap rate. And exactly. So we're going to, we're going to, you know, EBITDA, you know, uh, we're going to use all this jargon to describe the business because that's the language of that business. And we're not going to explain it. That's, we're going to have a place for those folks and a place in the, in the rookie community where we're going to make sure we explain it every time. So it's accessible um, throughout the journey with that. Um, expect the world of passive investing potentially to come in or fix and flip. Um, so that type, that type of content is a, uh, um, uh, where, where our business is heading over the next couple of years. Second, we also have a subscriptions business and then a, um, a, a marketplaces business. And so our pro membership, our subscription product is designed to help folks transact, make good real estate investing decisions. So buy more deals faster with less risk, calculators, leases and landlord form templates, discounts on third party services. We need to round out that value proposition and maybe create a couple of different subscriptions that are more appropriate for flippers or for um, more advanced investors who are putting together syndications, so on and so forth. Yeah. And then lastly, we're building what I think is the most exciting um, opportunity for us is this marketplace of matching investors with real estate agents and lenders um, and property managers and insurance brokers and so on. But at the first year or two, we're gonna just focus on those agents and lenders. And what's great about this is when you're trying to buy an investment property, you don't want to talk to the realtor who your mom who sold your, the, 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 your mom uh, yeah. her house, right, or your brother with that. You want an investor-friendly real estate agent, and that I think is something that we can provide that is not you can't really find that online. And so even if our network is just one of the places that you interview for an agent on, that's still a really powerful option for a lot of investors. And it's a really good way for bigger pockets to make money because if we can refer someone to an agent and let's say that agent goes on and, and makes a $10,000 commission, um, you know, a certain percentage of that, maybe up to 20, 30% of that could be a referral back to bigger pockets. Um, we'd have to obviously build a brokerage before we could, do that um, uh, fully. And right now we're just yeah. selling leads. But that's a really big opportunity for the business. And what's great about it is the customer does not pay <laughs> us. The, the agent is the one paying us. So it's, it, yeah. it, it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things to like about that particular business model. Um, and, and it's one of our fastest growing streams right now. So in the future, expect to see more of those sub-brands um, that produce content that are sp specifically around certain strategies and for specific types of people at different stages in their journey. Two, um, expect us to round out that subscription value prop um, value proposition and add a lot more value um, to our pro membership, especially in those periods between transactions. How do I manage my portfolio and scale it and systematize it and that kind of stuff? And then third, expect us to build networks of agents, lenders, property managers, and insurance brokers. And um, I think that was very interesting where you um, you were talking about starting a brokerage 
um, in bigger pockets and kind of be an investor friendly brokerage and have all these agents, um, you know, joining the brokerage. Maybe that's how that would work. And then, um, um, I mean, it's such a great value atmosphere because um, you have so many like-minded people who want to achieve financial um, independence and connect him to a space of investor-friendly agents who have, you know, experience with different deal structures like wholesaling and, you know, selling investment property, distressed property. Um, whereas a, a typical agent um, that, you know, maybe works on, you know, selling your mom's house or something like that wouldn't know how to um, you know, bring value in that, in that transaction. So that's very fascinating. Yeah, I think very, I think it's a, cool a, a interesting opportunity. We'll we'll see how it goes, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I'm 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 optimistic that it will be a really good value add for for our users. And then, like I said, a really efficient way. You know, one of the things you know, I'm a, an investor, and I I um I like my job as CEO, so I want to keep it. Uh, and and this is a good a good opportunity to, to grow valuation and and drive revenue as well. Absolutely. And um, kind of diving more into bigger pockets is as far as the culture you guys have in the bigger pockets atmosphere. Um, could you kind of just talk about that? I know I just um, kind of the culture, not like a specific question, but um, kind of brought up a view of the, of the culture you guys have at bigger pockets. And, um, you know, we got a little taste of it, you know, being around you guys and um, getting to meet you. Um, so would love uh, for you to kind of elaborate on the culture you guys have there. Yeah, sure. So, so, you know, I think, I think first we're, we're pretty mission oriented, you know, you talk about yeah. like, what, why, why, you know, do we exist? And, you know, more specifically, maybe why am I here on your podcast today with this, right? It's, I, I believe that when you help, especially younger folks, but, you know, be, but when you help people become financially independent early in life, you're unlocking human potential is the way I like to phrase it, because this is somebody who has been disciplined or organized or creative or hardworking or lucky enough to become, build a substantial asset base in their 30s, in their 20s, in their 40s, in their 50s. This is somebody who has potential to go start a business, can get involved in nonprofits, maybe get involved in politics, do some sort of thought leadership or just live a happier healthier life in general or, or a lower impact life um, from a carbon or whatever it is, right? Folks do all sorts of crazy things once they become financially free. And that has a multiplying effect, I think, downstream that we're going to realize as a society and reap a lot of dividends on. So that's that's what gets me up in the morning about this. Uh, um, and I think you'll find that the our, our team here really buys into that and is, is seeking to, to one, help enable that from a mission perspective and two, achieve it for themselves. Um, so we, a, a large number of our, our team here are either active or highly intentional, intentional about getting involved in real estate investing or interested in personal finance in general. We just had our spirit week this week, which is a little uh, different from past years because of you know we're still partially remote um, uh, with all that, but we had um, we had a, a, someone come in and and give a discussion about real estate investing as one of the events there. We had brainstorming events on how to solve user user problems and to that to that effect. Um, you know, I'm, I we're gonna we, we are starting a cadence of um, a monthly. Um, we're calling it investor club where we're going to invite a speaker from the community to come in and just give a lecture to employees and a Q and a at that. We may open it up to some of the local investors in Denver as well with that. Um, and then I think you'll find a, a pretty energized um, and, 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 and pretty passionate about what they do um, community here as well. So we, we have our four core values are be driven, work smart, 
grow together and embrace community. And I think that that that's what we're trying to drive towards. We want people who want to work hard. We want people who want to work smart. Um, you know, and and we want people who are willing to give and accept tough feedback. Right? We have this difference between nice and kind. Right? It's yeah. it's nice to cover for somebody who's not doing a good job, but it's not kind because they're going to get a promotion and raise. Um, maybe at your expense or one of your, your colleague, colleagues' expenses, much kinder to confront the problem directly up front and not let it fester and swell and grow with that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I, I think that embracing that community means being a part, say, bring a part of yourself to bigger pockets, um, whether it's your terrible dad jokes that you want to post into our Slack channel, your poorly behaved dog, um, your, your uh, sandwich making skills at our you know, at, we have these sandwich show offs, showdowns every once in a while um, with that kind of stuff, whatever that is, bring some, some part of your self to our culture. And then two, join and be a part of the investor community. You don't, ha you don't have to invest. It's not a requirement to be at bigger pockets, but you should get to know our audience and user and that kind of stuff and be a part of that, that community. Um, I will say that one caveat with that is that uh, with that work smarter, we, we, you know, Everyone says, I want freedom and autonomy, right? Freedom and autonomy is great um, with that. And I certainly like that. But with that comes accountability. And so what will happen if you are inexperienced or don't know what you're doing or we're inexperienced and put somebody who's not ready for the job into a position, they will and we give them freedom. We don't give them a, a, a playbook with that kind of stuff. Sometimes people can build themselves a nightmare of a situation that they have to manage. That's, you know, 60, 80 hours a week to maintain. So just know that, uh, that that's we always try to make that clear up front for folks. That's not for everybody, because if you make a if you make a mess, you're gonna have to clean it up. And figure out and and cleaning it up is going to involve building a better system, but you're going to have to work even more on on top of the the time that it takes to maintain that system. So I think that's the culture you'll find here is people who are tough enough to withstand those infrequent, you know, relatively infrequent, but but uh, events that do happen, challenges in building these building and, and growing systems for our business, but who embrace our culture and like and like working here um, with a high energy. Um, so. Unfortunately, I was I, I did outlast all of them uh, in the both at least one of the evenings at the conference um, uh, in the after party. So I, I gave them a little bit of grief about that particular uh, that particular showing. So maybe next year we'll, we'll see. <laughs> awesome. We've got a wonderful team. They're full. Of, it's it's high energy individuals, really intelligent, work hard, crush it, and we operate a very fast growing, very profitable business because of the great team we have. That's awesome. Um, and to kind of bounce off of that, Scott, um, in the last year, what's a challenge that you faced to keeping that culture or just a challenge you had, you know, leading bigger pockets or um, whether it be um, a task or, a, you know, a mental mindset towards the situation, um, just kind of diving into that. Yeah, well, I think the biggest challenge has been in, I'm going to call it performance management. So what, what I think it's, it's for me, at least it's really hard to know what good looks like from certain roles and certain positions in the business. And it's really hard to define what good is if you don't know, um, and set clear expectations and get to that point. And so we've had a couple of changes at our, at leadership team positions, um, at the highest level, um, with that. And I think 
in some cases, very necessary changes to those positions. And, you know, when that happens, that's going to result in changes downstream as well. If a leader leaves, then their direct reports are going to leave. And then the folks that those folks hired may leave or there'll be turbulence and that kind of stuff. And so um, having made changes at the senior leadership team level, we've got a wonderful leadership team um, in place right now that are, that are just crushing it. Um, but to get to that point involved a lot of changes and a lot of turbulence and turmoil over the past year and a lot of learning. Um, and it's my fault. I didn't know what good looks like in certain things or what good for bigger pockets probably is a better way to phrase it more specifically looked like in certain positions or how to set and manage expectations very clearly with that. Uh, and I was probably way too passive about enforcing the expectations that I did have and allowed too much time to go by because like, that's the, that's the lonely job of being a CEO is, you know, you are responsible for, for, for that at the end of the day, you got to set expectations and somebody who's not able or willing or capable of doing a particular role is going to hold back the rest of your organization, um, with that. Um, so I think that's, how's that for a, a brutally direct answer to what's been the biggest challenge for life here? I absolutely love it. And I, I'm specifically love when you said, um, I found myself being passive when I set these expectations for myself, um, to, uh, grow bigger pockets. And I think maybe, uh, you know, I find myself doing that. A lot of our listeners might find themselves doing that too, is setting expectations, setting their goals and being passive on them and, you know, being, um, you know, being a, a little down when they don't reach them, but, you know, then that thought's like, okay, now I need to, you know, set, you know, incremental goals to reach that expectation. Um, in that process, did you, um, um, and I guess you found that out about yourself and it, was there anything else that you've, um, found out about yourself through that process of, um, that turmoil? I, um, and, and I think what, well, here's, here's the good news is you can reinvent yourself with all this yeah. kind of stuff, right? So two years ago, I'm a guy who avoids conflict, right? I'm, I'm trying to please everybody. I think that being a, a good leader is about making sure that everybody is happy and everybody succeeds inside of that organization. And that's just not, that's not what business leadership is about. Business leadership is about putting together the best team, right? It'd be like trying to manage an NFL team by making sure that every current player was happy and let, saved for the next 10 years but you don't have a draft and you're not constantly reevaluating against the, 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 the town out there. And so that's been the biggest change for me. And my orientation to conflict resolution is dramatically different now than it was two years ago. When there's a problem, I'm going to confront you right up against uh, right away uh, with it. And people are doing that to me as well, because I, I certainly make a tremendous number of mistakes um, um, with my, my personal um, items that I'm accountable for with those kinds of things. But that I think has been the biggest pivot for me is, that was my identity was somebody who did not av approach conflict or, or go after that. And I had to reinvent that in order to, to do my job effectively with this um, and, and, and serve you guys, um, uh, the, the customer, much more effectively. Awesome. Man, that was powerful. Yeah, that was, that was very powerful, Scott. So we should probably start moving towards the last segment of the show, which yeah. is advice. Which we, we sort of, it, it always, once we get into the strategy towards the end, it sort of naturally leans into advice. But um, one of the questions we like to ask, and Nick asked this almost, is um, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in the last year? Not necessarily the biggest conflict you've run into, but what's the biggest lesson that came out of that? 
I think that's it for, for, yeah. And, and again, I don't want to, I want to be clear that this advice may not apply to somebody starting an entry level position, having a direct confrontational style, not confrontational style, but like a, a directly approaching conflict and problems with that may not be appropriate with your first manager or something outside of your control. So it, I think it's generally a good, a good practice to err, err more towards that. And I don't, you know, it's not, not, there's no extremes with all this kind of stuff. Um, but just, just to be clear about that, that's, that may not be that that's, that's probably really good advice if you're starting a business and becoming a CEO and managing a, a business because any problems you're not, you're not confronting are going to compound. But I mean, just, just to be clear, I don't want to, I don't want to oversell that as like the first skill to develop in your early in your career. Um, yeah. uh, that, that's the biggest lesson though, for me as a CEO, um, I'm responsible, I'm accountable for everything and I need to be proactive about confronting problems long mm. before um, they actually translate to business or um, other types of, 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 of consequences. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, to touch on your point too, of uh, I'm trying to make everyone happy and um, just looking for the right, the right team. That's going to, you know, sharpen everybody's, uh, um, everybody's actions. And when they're messing up, you know, somebody that's going to come to you and say, Hey, you, you made a mistake here, you know, just confronting that conflict. Um, you're not going to make everybody happy. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's not the job, right? The job, like we are, we yeah. are not going to make, um, like bigger pockets, for example, we treat everyone ethically. We advocate for ethical practices and all that kind of stuff, but we are a community of landlords and real estate investors. Clearly we're not going to make some folks happy with that. Right. And that, mm-hmm. that's just a, that's a mental, that, that is probably a good one, um, from, from, from mental hurdle, but with, with advice in general, uh, and we can come back to this in a second if you want. But with advice in general, I do have a couple of key points for college yeah. students with that. Oh, so the first good. is, first is, I think you should obsess a little bit, not not maybe not as much as I did, but a little bit about the concept of financial freedom, right? If you are a normal college graduate, you are 22, 23 years old and have no idea what the heck you want to do with the rest of your life, why would you, um, why would you not? go down the process of building a flexible financial position that will allow you the opportunity in three to five years to change career paths or whatever it is. Even if you love your job now, your company may sell, your boss may move, you know, you, you may get a peer who's horrible to work with in a couple of years with all that. I think that financial freedom as a, a concept is something that everybody should at least acknowledge and begin building a, a pretty flexible and strong financial position from an early age. It gets a lot harder um, over the next, uh, in the, in the next decade after your twenties, um, with that, just because you're rooted in a lot of different other life choices. doesn't mean you can't, we have lots of stories about that, but why not go ahead and pursue that right away? And the second, um, would, would be that those mental models that I just described, if you can read and network and learn, um, as much as you can with that, with an open mind, you know, the person that has 20 years of experience, but has only read, hasn't read a book in those 20 years, you're going to, you're going to outshine them in the first two years of your career. You, 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 I'm not saying that experience is not a valuable asset. Mm. It definitely is, but you, you don't, you can't, you don't have experience when you graduate college. So you have to yeah. just acknowledge that and say, what can I do? Well, what I can do is I can read 20, 30 books by the most noted minds in my field. And that's a pretty rapid head start. You're probably going to be better um, at, at that at that particular line of work than most of the people in that field. There are going to be people with 10 years of experience who have also read all of those books. You should learn from them and acknowledge that you're not going to beat them. But that's going to move you in your career ladder 
um, uh, very rapidly, I think, compared to a lot of the competition. So those would be my two big pieces of advice is self-study with the intention of learning those mental models. Just absorb a bunch of them until you can apply them across a number of different disciplines. And then two, build a really, really strong and flexible financial position um, because I'll give you a term and those two things in, in tandem, I think will give you a tremendous number of options in the first three to five years after graduation from college. Awesome. You're, you're, you're prepared to speak to our listeners. That's awesome. This is my favorite, um, I, this is my favorite like type of, of, of place to talk is, is a, 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 a podcast like yours, because I just think like, where is human potential? The greatest It is the recent college graduate, um, to a large extent, right? All of the options are available to you guys um, that they're not to other folks. Not to say that, you know, we're not serving every part of the uh, of humanity that we can't, that we can access with it. But like, this is just the most fun part. And it's like, go crush it over the next couple of years. You can still have fun. By the way, none of this is like that time consuming um, compared to a lot of stuff. It, it's it, There are trade-offs, but like, if you just live somewhere that's super cheap, you can also travel and have all the fun stuff in the first couple of years. You just, you can't have it all. You can't live downtown in the, the, the skyscraper uh, next to the, all, all of the bars uh, with that and do a lot of traveling and build a rental property portfolio and achieve financial freedom in five years. You got to decide what's important there and what's not um, with it. And there are trade-offs, but they're not, for me, I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like it was that significant of a trade-off in terms of life, life and memories with that to, to get on the other side of that. So, yes, I'm prepared because and, I, I, I'm very enthusiastic about this subject. Uh, awesome. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned reading books to prepare yourself a little more because uh, when you're young, you just don't have experience. You can't have 20 years of experience if you're only 20. So what is one book that you've either given away the most amount of times or at least recommended the most? Feel free to plug your own book as well. But um, any other books that come to mind? Sure. So I actually just made a list today for another subject of this. Um, but I, I, I would say, you know, look, I, I have a book, it's called Set for Life um, with that. I, I, I like it, but I don't know, you know, that, that, and, if, if, and if you guys would like a few copies for, for folks, I'm happy to send you a couple um, of that. But here, here are, here's a list of five to 10. Mir the Miracle Morning um, by Hal Elrod. The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Super Thinking. That's a great one. Um, it's about mental models. Um, that what I just described there, and it just gives you a list of 50 of them. It takes you a lot longer to actually internalize all of them, but, um, that's, that's a good one. The psychology of money by Morgan Housel is really good. The millionaire next door by, um, J Thomas Stanley thinking in bets by Annie Duke, um, which is, she's a poker player. Um, and I really yeah. like that, uh, because if you go about life thinking that I'm 90% on this particular thing. It's a lot better. It feels a lot better to be wrong on something that you're 90% on than something that you're certainty on, that you're certain of. And so if you just think about everything in the concept of bets, um, it, well, not everything, but if the vast majority of decisions in your life around the concepts of bets, um, you're going to feel a lot better about them because you can separate what was a good bet and what was a bad outcome with that. So I think, I think that's a really good one. Um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss is in a book about negotiation, which I think is very powerful. Atomic Habits is about the New York Times bestseller that came out in the last year. Um, last year or two. And then how to win friends and influence people is an old classic on that front. So that, that would be a good starting list. Um, I guess it was nine books um, uh, for folks um, that I think are, are most impactful on me. Yeah, that was a great list. 
Well, we're going to get those uh, implemented at UTC's library, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah we've uh, <laughs> been soft promised a, a budget to buy books for the real estate club at the university. So we may um, start building a little library of self-development books for the students. So we'll, we'll throw some in there. I'll throw all nine yeah. of them in there. Yeah. Um, thank you for breaking that down. Um, and I also wanted to uh, ask you a question, um, Scott. Is um, outside of bigger pockets, outside of um, building uh, building your personal portfolio, what do you love to do that makes you happy, um, and what you enjoy to do? You know, and, and like this is like my midlife crisis right now because we, we mentioned at the beginning of the show I'm a, I've been a rugby player, right? And so I've always yeah. identified as like a rugby player um, for all of my adult life. But, mm -hmm. you know, the injuries have piled up and I tried to give it a, another crack this year and I just had another, you know, uh, like kind of this, this nerve injury, neck injury called a stinger uh, multiple times. And I'm like, okay, I need a new hobby. So my plan um, actually last year, I was, I, I was new, I knew the end was coming last year, but it kind of came this year with, for rugby for me. Um, and I was like, okay, my plan is I'm going to try these like 12 new hobbies. It was, I made this whole list. I'm like scuba I'm going to do like, you know, I don't know, windsurfing or hiking yeah. and skiing and all this. And so COVID hit and so I didn't, it wasn't able to do that. And so like, I don't have a good answer. I don't know. I, I don't know what I like to do for fun right now with that kind of stuff. And that's a problem for me and something I'm going to fix now that we're ending this, this pandemic or, or, or it seems to be winding down at least hopefully a little bit um, towards the end of 2021 here. So sad answer there right now. Um, I don't have, I don't have a great hobby, but I do have a wonderful life hanging out with my, my wife and our little kitty cat. We binge watch uh, a couple of Netflix shows with all that kind of stuff. We do a lot of trips and travel, um, or at least so awesome. far we have, we, we have so far towards the second half of this year, um, with, with, the, the, the pandemic opening things up. Um, and we see friends multiple, you know, at least twice a week, um, for various things around town, park days or having them over for dinner or just hanging out. That's awesome. In the, in the last second half of the year, what's, what's been your uh, favorite location that you went with your wife? And I'm sure, did oh, you we went to Maui with you? No, we don't you take the kitty cat there. with us. So um, <laughs> I'm smitten with my kitten uh, is, is a, another way to, to say it. Okay, um, but I, we go to Maui. Uh, uh, we went to Maui, and that was an uh, incredible uh, trip. So it's just, it's like you can go anywhere in the world. Maui's probably got to be up there towards the top of that list. Just perfect weather, beautiful sunset, um, great places to explore, big mountain um, uh, to, to climb and, and go watch the sunset there, and um, big... Uh, uh, there's a tropical rainforest on the other side of it and the road to Hana, which is a pretty special experience. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Brandon Turner. <laughs> and Brandon and Josh live there. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah. It's awesome. And but before we head off Netflix show, then you said you've been, been binge watching Netflix shows. What's, what's been the, uh, the one that stuck out the most? Oh, we're watching that horrible squid game show. Oh, I've heard so. I've heard that's so good. It's so it is. It's good, but it's so gory and, and ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're in the middle of that one right now. Awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, we'll wrap it up there. Yeah, Scott, thank you so much for um, taking the time to hop on here and um, the advice the advice you give um, to our members is it, it blew me away, and I really hope this impacts a lot of our members and 
artillery that we're um, building here. And, um, you know, every every time a member joins the UTC Real Estate Club, we, we talk about go to bigger pockets, you know, just mm-hmm. start talking with people, you know, talk to people in our local market, but also talk to people that, you know, you can't even see in person too because yeah. make relationships with everybody and get out in there and network. So Build those thanks again. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun today. So always, always, uh, always fun to talk about myself. So thank you guys for letting me inviting me to go do that. Um, who's going to argue with that? 